0: You're listening to It's All in the Cards podcast, a horror fiction podcast where all questions are welcome, but you may not like the answers. Some material here may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised.
1: I should have done this years ago. The cold, crisp morning greets me with the smell of the dew clinging to the grass and the sound of the Arkansas River rushing by as I set up my tables and chairs And prepare my wares on the makeshift booth i've created rosie the owner of the cafe next door has graciously allowed me to take over her patio space until my shop is cleared technically it was cleared this morning but that was after i had already set everything up so the patio it is i should do this once a week i make sure the sign saying shop temporarily removed with an arrow pointing to the patio is visible for everyone to see then i hang on the corner watching just in case people try to open the door anyway You'd be amazed at how many people don't bother to read even after they realize the door is locked. Hello, how can I help you today?
2: I'm looking for the chest. The chest? Yeah, that's the name of the book. It's an anthology my cousin told me about.
1: And you sure it's called the chest?
2: Well, chest is definitely in the title. There may be more words though.
1: Fun. Can you think of anything else that would be helpful? Is it a treasure chest? A freezer chest? A chest cavity?
2: Well, I think the cover actually didn't have a chest on it. It was a lit up store corner.
1: Do you know anything about any of the stories in the collection?
2: I think one's about a person who just wants to sleep, but some monster won't let them.
1: Wait, isn't that one called The Mist? I think so. Then you're looking for The Archaic Chest by Christina Orley.
2: That's it. Do you have it?
1: I happen to have ordered some copies last week. They should be in tomorrow. If you want to leave me a contact, I can let you know the minute they're here. Or you can just come back and check in the afternoon.
2: I'd be happy to give you my number. Does that mean I can also have yours?
1: The store is
2: listed. No, I mean I'd like to take you out sometime.
1: You look far too innocent. And I only go on dates when I'm hungry.
2: Oh, I don't mind paying for a dinner. And I may look sweet, but I can be spicy.
1: Oh, sweetie. They all say that, until they realize what my price is. I'll just call you when the book is in. Welcome to the Archaic Chess by Christina Orley where the objects of your dreams quickly turn into the instruments of nightmares. From vengeful reflections, at-home clinical trials gone wrong, and quirky party guests, to urban legends with a twist, these 12 stories are sure to keep you guessing about what might be lurking in the shadows. In these short stories, you'll learn that the allure of old things might just be your demise. Brought to you by Sleepless Sanctuary Publishing. You can purchase the collection at Amazon.com. Link in the show notes.
3: It's All In The Cards, Episode 10, The Man With Two Faces.
1: Several of my morning regulars make it by and give me a bigger tip than usual. Part of me wants to assume they're being extra gracious because they know I can't open my shop, but I know it's really because they want me to blab. Now, normally, I don't care. I'd blab to the world, especially with how the lieutenant was grumpy with me. But right after the customer asks, the lieutenant just so happens to turn the corner and get in line for coffee. I may not like him, but that doesn't mean I need any more enemies. I need the cops to play nice. I'm sorry, but I can't divulge any details of what happened. The whole group of regulars deflate as they learn they're not getting any info out of me. They can be disappointed all they want as long as they buy some coffee. After I serve the last customer in line, the lieutenant approaches me.
4: Morning, Miss Albright. Might I have a word?
1: I have no one to watch my booth for me.
4: Then let's step over by the tree so we can see when a customer comes up for service.
1: Fine. Everyone watches us as we stroll from the patio down the riverbank to the white alder tree. I'm slightly disappointed when no one tries to move closer to listen in. Not for the attention, just for the annoyance to the lieutenant. I fight my natural urge to lean against the tree, so I rest a foot on a root. The lieutenant stops in front of me. What do you need now?
4: I've found some more interesting things about you, Miss Albright. I was hoping you could just shed some light on the situation for me. Oh? Yes. Looks like you were the one who called and gave the tip about Brooks Staten's body in the Muldrow murder case. Said to have a brush with the murderer.
1: Yes. I gave a statement and video evidence of what he looked like to the police.
4: It looks like you were also named in having a helping hand finding the teenage girl just a few weeks back. And? And just last night, before you returned to your shop and found the New Myers bodies, you were caught on camera at the fire department, dropping off another missing child.
1: What's your point, Lieutenant?
4: Well, let's start with last night. Why didn't you take the child in and call the cops to come get her?
1: Me? Keep a baby at my apartment? Do you know how loud those things are?
4: And how'd you happen to find the child?
1: Magic. The good lieutenant is not
4: amused. Ms. Albright, a part of me wants to warn you about taking justice into your own hands, but looks like you do involve the cops when you can, so why do I get the feeling you're up to something?
1: You still don't trust me. That's why part of you still wants to threaten me.
4: I said warn, not threaten.
1: Six one way, half a dozen the other. The lieutenant steps towards me in turns, looking up to my shop. I stare with him. It's easy to forget what you have when you don't take time to enjoy the view.
4: You know, despite whatever feuding you two are doing, Miss Beckett recommended that I use you as a retainer going forward.
1: She's probably just too lazy to carry on helping you, or didn't want to dirty her lily white hands anymore. She said she'd known you her whole life. How come I don't know you? We both grew up in Mountainburg.
4: I asked her the same question about you. You remember Chainsaw?
1: (laughs) That lanky boy that set half the town on fire when his invention blew up? Yeah, I remember him. Chainsaw had been a few years younger than Roslyn and I. I remember he lived on the same block she did when she and her mom lived in town. Sometimes Chainsaw would ask if we wanted to go ride bikes with him or play a game of basketball. When my mother was killed and Rosan's mother became high priestess, they moved further out in the middle of the mountains. I saw Chainsaw only in passing at school.
4: That was my boy.
1: Was his boy. I would forgotten. Chainsaw died in a fiery car crash the summer I graduated and took control of the store. He was a bright kid. He just knew he was going to invent the next big thing. The lieutenant smiles.
4: You know... He sent MIT a blueprint of some electric engine design he came up with. They paid him for the patent to use part of it.
1: I didn't know that, so part of him was able to carry on. The grief of a father threatens to overtake the lieutenant, but he swallows it down.
4: It's all any of us can hope for. That a part of us, some action that we took, directly impacts the lives of others that come after us. With that in mind, I do hope you'll consider helping me on cases that may need your... assistance.
1: So you can keep tabs on me easier?
4: That, and... Rosalind says you can offer more than her. I doubt that statement, but wouldn't mind giving you the chance to prove me wrong.
1: I'll think about it, Lieutenant. Right now, I just want to enjoy this lovely morning air before I have to clean up whatever mess your team left my shop in. The day outside on the patio was a nice change of pace, but it is a relief to be able to open my store the next morning and go through my normal routine. Coffee with the regulars, a few books sold, and a reading with a newly engaged woman who wanted to be told all about her future full of fat babies and a long marriage. I left out the parts where her husband cheats on her constantly and her indulges of her kids lead to ungrateful adults who never visit. She didn't want to hear it anyway. I'm busy wiping down the coffee area before locking up the store when I hear the bells jingle over the door. I sigh and put on a smiling face to greet my last-minute customer. Good evening, how can I- I need your help! He clearly does, judging by his appearance. A rumpled suit stained at the hems with a thick layer of mud. His dark hair must as if he had been running his fingers through it all day. But the thing that makes my smile freeze on my face is his eyes. I could see the whites all around the blue of his irises. And his pupils are so large they look like black holes directly to his soul. This man is having a hell of a day. Would you like a reading? Or just some general life advice? Because barging into a store as it's about to close is usually frowned upon. His hands fly to the sides of his head, raking through his messy curls.
0: I- I'm sorry, I-, I-, I don't know what else to do. Something's been happening to me. I-, I-, I don't know what it is or how to stop it.
1: I step closer and reach my arm towards him almost close enough to touch the fine linen of his suit. Whatever going on with this man, he is definitely able to afford the price tag to fix it. Let's go in the back room and you can tell me what's been going on. I gesture towards the reading room, stopping only to lock the front door before following him. As he pushes the verving curtain aside, I see him flinch. He tucks his hands closer to his chest, protecting them from the feel of the vines as he moves inside. I watch as the long strands that touch his bare skin begin to wilt the green of the leaves browning in an instant. This is going to be a long night. He settles himself in the chair across from mine, his hands still together, but his whole body tense, his shoulders and arms drawn in tight, making himself as small and still as possible. I lay my hands flat on the table and stare at him. Let's start over, shall we? My name is Jade. He gives me a small smile and a wave.
0: I'm I'm Stephen.
1: Gritting his teeth, Stephen gives his hand a small shake, as if something small had just stung him. He looks down at the back of his hand, searching for the mite responsible, but there's nothing there. Now, Stephen, what's been going on?
0: I, 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 I don't know.
1: If you don't know what's going on, how do you know something's wrong?
0: I, I, I don't, I don't remember anything.
1: He runs a hand over his face and takes a deep breath to calm down.
0: I don't know what's happening because I can't remember.
1: When did you first notice you were losing parts of your memory?
0: About a month ago, maybe, maybe two. It, it's hard to keep track of. It all seemed so small at first. I'd wake up wearing jeans when I know I went to bed in pajamas, or have dirty shoes on beneath the sheets. I thought maybe I was like sleepwalking. You know, my sister used to do that as a lot of the kids. So it kind of made sense that I would do it too, but. Then it then it happened during the day. It was a regular work morning. I straightened my tie in the mirror by the door. My husband Jonathan came up behind me and kissed me on the cheek. His smile always helps me start my day off on the right foot. Tie still in my hands, I turned around to give him a better kiss before I headed off. I pulled my collar down and put my jacket on thinking about our date night that evening. The thought had me leaving the house with a huge smile on my face. One that I saw reflected back at me as I reached for the car door to leave. But it wasn't the car door handle that I felt in my hand. It was my phone, vibrating as it rang. I wondered how it got in my hand, and as I answered, I looked up to get in my car, but it wasn't there. Neither is my driveway, my yard, my street, my house. I stood in a rolling field of tall grass. My heart, Race as I stared and circled, looking for something, anything to give me an idea of where I was. I, I, I saw a barn and a house far off in the distance, but other than that, there was nothing. I hyperventilated as I brought the phone up to my face. Stevie, you there? Where are you, babe? I've been waiting half an hour for you at the restaurant. I, I I don't know. I I don't know where I don't know where I am, and I don't know how I got here. Honey, kid can, can, can you come get me? What happened? What, what do you mean? Are are you not at home? I I saw your car in the yard when I drove by earlier on the way to the restaurant. I was I, I was walking to my car, heading to work, and then and, and then I was here. Where is here, babe? You're scaring me. Yeah, I'm fucking scared myself, Johnny. Let's just let me let me send you my location so you can come get me. I used my location to have to share where I was with him. I was in a field over in Muldrow, someone's farmland. I had no clue how I got there. I thought I was crazy. I mean, normal people don't just black out like that, right? Sane people don't lose chunks of their life for no reason with no memory of how they got there or what they did during that time. I must have worn a path in that field for my pacing while I waited for Jonathan. It, it, it happened again a few nights later. That time I, I apparently drove before I walked. It took us a week to find my car too. The police had towed it because it was parked illegally somewhere in Saline County. I ended up getting fired because I didn't show up to work. They wouldn't believe that I lost so much time without knowing what happened. I thought I was an alcoholic or on, on drugs or something but even though the drug test came back negative, they were convinced I had duped it somehow. And the hardest drug I've ever done in my life was weed back in college.
1: I reach over and pull my tarot deck as I listen, readying myself emotionally for the reading. Steven continues to scratch at his arms and legs, his anxiety so high I can almost choke on it, but something else is here as well. Whatever is going on with him, my vervain already told me it was going to be taxing. I hope I can still help him without dirtying my hands too much.
0: I, I, I didn't know what else I could do. But I, I knew I had to do something. I, I just I, I had this feeling, you know, deep down in my gut. I felt like something bad was happening. Like I, I was doing something evil or, or wrong every time I lost myself. And I, I needed to find out why. I, I thought it might be a tumor or something, so I went to the doctor. They did scans and tests, put me through every type of machine possible. But they didn't see any reason why I'd be losing time like this. In the end, they they, they just prescribed me sleeping pills and told Jonathan to keep an eye on me. And and I tried the pills, but the weird mornings didn't stop. I even even put cameras up in my house to see what I was doing when I wasn't conscious, but, but all I caught was myself turning them
1: off. He shrugs, shifting his shoulders beneath his suit. Unconsciously, he scratches at the back of his hands, leaving long red marks behind on his skin. Did you look normal on the camera? What? When you saw yourself on camera, did it look like you? or did you look different His eyes go wide and I can see the blood drain from his face
0: How how did you know that
1: I raise a hand and gesture to the store It's not all pretend here, Stephen. I have many skills that assist with my readings. That's why you came to me, right? He nods.
0: I guess I was hoping you would. It, it's it's not that it didn't look like me on the camera. It, it did, but a a weird version of me, you know? Like, the, the quality of the video wasn't the greatest, but my hands, they, they looked almost like claws and, and, my, and my eyes. Yes? They looked black. Like my, my whole eye was missing. but there, there was something dark that was filling the space.
1: I watched him for a second, taking in the distress on his face, his clear blue eyes. I couldn't imagine this man looking evil, but then again, evil comes in pretty packages too. So why now? If this has been happening for over a month now, why did you wait this long to come to me? Tears well up in his eyes as he looks across the table at me. I...
0: I can't find my husband.
1: I nod. Of course, he wouldn't try his last resort until the consequences were right in his face. I shuffle the cards and begin to lay out the spread. Tell me what happened.
0: It it, it hadn't happened in a few days. Almost a week. Uh, I, I was starting to think it was going away. That, that I was getting control over my own mind again. I, I, th- I thought I could do something bigger, you know, just by myself, so that I could prove that I was getting better. I, I had an interview lined up for next week, so I told Jonathan that I, I was going to go on a dry run to see how long the drive took. See what people were wearing when they walked in, that sort of thing. It makes me feel better than going in blind and gave me a hug, and a kiss for luck, and, and, and I walked out the door, and then...
1: I wait, letting him take a breath so he can get everything out. It can't stay inside him forever.
0: <sighs> then I woke up. I, I was still in the house, but now it was dark outside, and, and everything everything was destroyed.
1: Destroyed how?
0: It, it looked like someone had ransacked the place. Our bookshelves were emptied, papers all over the floor, lamps overturned and broken. It was it was a mess. I, I called for Jonathan, but he wasn't home. I looked everywhere. There wasn't a sign of him inside, but there was some blood. There, there was some blood. I just... I, I just need to know what happened? Did I... Did I I do something to him? Did... Did I hurt him?
1: I gesture to the cards on the table, my standard spread of three. I'm going to try to help you find out. I flip the first card, and the moon stares up at me, two hounds beneath it howling. The moon can represent your fear, but it can also represent an illusion. Something is taking the place of your reality.
0: So I... I really am going crazy?
1: No, you just aren't perceiving reality the way you used to, the way you're supposed to. Something is upsetting the balance. I turn over the second card. Of fucking course. The devil. I glance up at him, but he's still scared and a little nervous about what the cards will reveal. His scratching gets worse, fingernails drawing up his arms now in long, slow motions, leaving deep red streaks as he scrapes off layers of skin. I'm not even sure he realizes he's doing it at this point. Something is enslaving you.
0: What, what, what does that mean?
1: Well, the devil is kind of a dick. I tap the face of the card, but that's not all I'm referring to. It looks like there's something riding along inside your body. Something that's using you to do its own bidding.
5: Is,
0: is, is there a way to free me from it?
1: We need to find out what it wants first. I turn over the last card, wholly unsurprised by the impelled man laying face down on it the ten of swords that is not good it wants to kill or maybe it's killed already johnny (gasps) he gasps then head thrown back and eyes clear and wide as they stare at the ceiling moving as he watches something within his mind i place a gentle hand on his forearm and get thrusted into a memory his memory I stand in a mid-century home, complete with restored, vintage furniture that probably cost more now than it did back then. Before me is a lanky blonde man, sprawled out on the couch and reading a book. The doorknob jiggles, making the man jump from his seat. He moves slowly to the door, cautious, but the shape he sees through the stained glass makes his shoulders slump in relief. Whatever it is, it keeps turning the doorknob, even as he tries to unlock it.
0: Hey, relax. It's okay if you're forgot...
1: He gets the door open smiling at the person on the other side, but that smile falls from his face as he takes them in. Stephen pushes through the doorway, smiling wide with black eyes staring Jonathan down. He reaches out both hands, fingers gnarled and clawed, and grasps for Jonathan's throat. He claws at Stephen's hands, trying to loosen them, but there's a strength in the man that he didn't have before. They blow through the room as they struggle, knocking picture frames off the walls and toppling lamps, Stephen grunts in effort as he tightens his grip on Jonathan's throat, cutting off the faint wheeze of air he was able to maintain. Jonathan slips on spilled paper, losing his footing and dropping to his knees. At the mercy of Stephen's hand, still grasped around his throat, nails bared and digging into flesh. Stephen climbs on top of him, pushing Jonathan to the hardwood floor. The man struggles against him, face purpling with the effort. The lack of oxygen is already weakening his limbs, legs kicking futilely beneath Stephen. As he slows, Stephen's grin grows wider. Carefully, he loosens his hands, and Jonathan pulls in a raspy breath of air. One breath, and then another, and Jonathan opens his eyes to stare at the thing inside of his husband. He tries to smile, still confused, but was hoping it was all some kind of joke. That's when Stephen tightens his hands again, encircling Jonathan's throat and lifting his head from the floor. In one smooth motion, he slams it to the ground again and again. Like a child playing with a dog. He continues long after Jonathan's gone, until finally Steven slows and stops, chest heaving with the effort. Climbing to his feet, he throws the limp body over his shoulder and walks out the door as if nothing happened.
2: Oh, God, no!
1: His voice brings me out of his mind, out of the memory the demon gave him back. I draw my hand back as I watch him crumble in his seat. He lifts his hands to his face, trying to cover the tears that have already spilled over. He wails, the sound heart-wrenching and sad, a cavern of loneliness echoing inside of him. I don't think God is here with us right now.
3: You couldn't be more right about that part, you deceitful bitch.
1: As he lowers his hands, I can see that whatever part of Stephen that was still inside of his body is no longer in control. His eyes are no longer a clear blue, but instead a deep, all fulfilling black. There are no longer any whites, no pupils, no irises. Just blackness. What do you want? I speak calmly, dropping my hands to my lap to keep them off of the table and out of reach. I do not want this thing touching me.
3: I came to deliver a message to you. ...from our mutual acquaintance.
1: And what acquaintance would that be? Because I don't believe that the two of us run in the same circles.
3: Why, our father of lies. The prince of darkness. The fallen star. Here to light your way back to his home. Don't pretend you don't know.
1: My servitude ended. I am no longer bound to him.
3: Oh, I'm aware. That's why I'm here. He wants you to come back to the fold, to willingly give yourself to him once more.
1: And you took it upon yourself to deliver this message while in another person? How thoughtful of you.
3: Oh, this body was just for fun. You know I didn't think I'd enjoy being inside a human as much as I have. with Stephen here, he makes it all worth it.
1: He runs his hands along his chest, the nails long and pointed like talons. When he smiles up at me, all I can see are sharp and rotting teeth rose upon rose hidden deep inside what used to be Steven's mouth. well, well, there is a face only a mother could love. Too bad you have no mother and your father hates you.
3: (laughs) At least I'm not an orphan.
1: Hey, I'm technically not. My dad's out there. Somewhere.
3: You so sure about that?
1: Sure as I am that you can't do shit to me.
3: If I wanted to do something to you, I would have done it already.
1: No, you wouldn't have. You let your host walk right into a ceiling circle. Your ass was mine as soon as you sat down. He leans forward and the first wave of bile and rotting flesh and shit hits me like an open garbage can of a black market mortuary. I swallow the initial gag reflex down and ignore it the best I can. He's not going to get to me.
3: You think you're smooth enough to hide your magic from me? <sighs> it still reeks of him. But this message could not wait. I had to step in.
1: What force in hell or earth would make you wander willingly into a ceiling circle?
3: I'm just a loyal messenger, Jade. He wants you back.
1: He wanted me back the moment I left over a decade ago. What gives?
3: I'm not one to question my master, but I have permission to bear you good tidings. He said you should see it as an invitation.
1: Oh? And if I refuse to accept his gift?
3: You won't want to do that, Jade. You see, it will solve that little serial murder problem you've been having. as it has been me that the coven's been killing for?
1: I lean closer over the table, ignoring the putrid stench now fully staining my reading room. Come again?
3: You heard right. Those witches have been conjuring me, asking me to give them power. But they don't know that it's really all for you.
1: You do know that I could eat you and end you right here, right now.
3: I do. You'd kill the man I'm inhabiting, but something tells me that doesn't bother you too much. But you know who it will be next if you don't respond the way he wants.
1: I'll take my chances. But instead of making a meal out of you, we could strike a bargain. Oh? I won't eat you. And in return, I take you to the coven and you help me identify the witches that have been killing for power.
3: <laughs> you think you can cast a circle great enough to hold me for that long?
1: I lean back and slide my hand beneath the table. Who said anything about a circle? I open the trapdoor beneath the demon. For a millisecond I wonder if he will tuck tail and run now that the circle holding him is broken, but by the growls echoing up from the shaft, we both know it's too late for him to run now. I push my power and intent down into the pit. Don't kill him, Mr. Giggles.
3: You named this thing Mr. Giggles?
1: Doesn't he look like a Mr. Giggles?
3: (laughs) I assume he's to be my escort.
1: He can either escort you or eat you. Your choice.
3: I'll take the escort.
1: Mr. Giggles, take him home. I don't wait to see if Mr. Giggles obeys. I know he will. Mr. Giggles is my unnamed terror. Took me forever to decide on a name, but with that big toothy grin of his, no other name is fitting. I'm sure plenty of people will disagree when they also see his scaly webbed claws and feet and swift heavy tail, but they just don't know him like I do. Before heading out, I fill my bag with every energy crystal I have. This will be the first time I've set foot in that circle in over a decade. All my fear and rage from the night my mother died sweeps over me. I can use its power, but I can't let it overwhelm me right now. I need to be clear-headed. Well, at least until I get there and sniff out the murderers. I have an idea of who they are, and if I'm right, Rosalind is in for a rude awakening. I grab my cloak hanging in the corner of the reading room and head out the door. Twilight's upon me, and the sun will dip beneath the horizon before I get there. But there's more to the mountain shadows than the dark. I wonder if I can call upon a bit more help. I make the 45 minute drive in less than 30 minutes. Finally deciding to depart near the Twins Creek's RV park, I grab my bag and get out of the car. Tying the cloak at my neck, I walk up Fort Smith Lake Road until I hit Warloop Creek. The water runs as wide as the road, the depth teetering back and forth from shallow walking to swimming level, depending on the time of year and end year on. A smile forms on my face as I can't help but to think about some fun times I had at various lays of this creek, but that's a long time gone, never to return and rightly so, for those were childish things before my focus cleared to one specific purpose. I'm happy I'm finally returning to that purpose, though in a very roundabout way. The full moon gives me some light to follow until I hit the canopy of the forest. I follow the southern banks of the creek as I can, but it gets treacherous in several places. Finally, I come to the bend in the creek that signals to me to turn south. Before I begin my trek through the woods, I look back over my shoulder. Mr. Giggles? Mr. Giggles? The flow of the creek is interrupted ever so softly by the dripping of water as Mr. Giggles makes his way out of the current and onto dry land. The soft squish of the mud turns into hard crunches as he breaks branches and leaves beneath his large, webbed feet. He stomps up to my left side, just inches behind me. The putrid smell of the demon wafts up, so I know Mr. Giggles didn't lose him. I had no doubt, really. More worried about the state of Stephen. How can I go and accuse these bitches of murder if I've murdered a man myself? I mean at least right in front of them. But it's not long until Stephen coughs and gags on the water Mr. Giggle surely dragged him through.
3: You call this an escort?
1: If I were you, I'd keep quiet until we get there. There are things in these woods older than you, and a lot less merciful than me. I make my way south through the trees. My sight is blind, but thankfully I don't need it. I release my power into the earth and let it guide me through the woods. The forest is alive around me. "'mockingbirds and whippoorwills "'singing their songs in the distance, "'but quiet and make themselves still as we pass. "'Mr. Giggles is nothing to scoff at, "'though a fool on Halloween might venture to do so. "'Mr. Giggles is what the mountain folk called the Gowrao, "'a dragon-like creature with large tusks "'standing over twelve feet tall. "'I can't take credit for the creation of Mr. Giggles, "'but I can take credit for his nourishment and mentoring. "'I remember when he was just the size of a salamander. "'He fit perfectly in my hand. "'I could have crushed him then, and used his powers for rituals but i've never been one to kill for the sake of killing everything has a purpose tonight mine is as clear as day it's several miles walking through the darkness before i reach the circle the firelight guides me for the last mile its small glow growing to its true blazing side the closer i come their singing echoes through the forest as we approach i remember this song This particular song is one from before the coven transitioned to worshipping Hecate. The song of sisterhood, of all making the one. Its melody makes my stomach turn. Their songs stop as Mr. Giggles and I near the circle. Sixteen witches turn our way, staring into the woods, waiting for us to step out of the darkness. Their circle of magic has already been raised. I can tell by the twinkling on the edge of the circle hanging over the boulders that serve as their boundary to their sacred land. Like a window or glass shimmering in the light. I made my way up to the door. The pretty fair witch came over the floor. And I asked her to open the door. I asked her to open the door. The door, door, door. The rain open it rained and hailed and it snowed. And I got the door. wet. The door opened. I opened the door. The door I begged her to open the door. Open the door. The neophytes nearest to me parted away from their dearest sister's arms. At least they're smart enough to fear me. I finish my song as the firelight kisses my face, only a handful of witches visibly relax when they see it's me, and more than half tense all the more. I can taste their fear from here, but the circle has already been called upon. The thrum of their combined magic vibrates in the air around them, almost as heavy as electricity. Rosalind steps to the center of the circle. Sisters,
6: do not fear her. She is here on my invitation,
1: though never without her theatrics. As you have already closed your circle, I ask that you open and permit me in. Margot steps forward from her spot in the rim of the circle, anger and fear apparent on her face. She is not
6: alone. She brought some sort of abomination with her. You cannot let
1: her enter this circle. Rachel steps forward as well.
6: She is not a threat. She is a welcomed guest of the Sisters of Hecate, and we should treat her as such. She is allowed one guest to escort her if need be.
5: That thing is a monster!
1: You will both stop your prattling. The two step back into the rim of the circle. Rosin slowly, gracefully strode to the edge of their circle within than two feet from me. The firelight cast her white lace dress in an orange glow, the aroma from her crown of honeysuckle sickly sweet, and a welcome contrast from the putrid stench of the man beside me. Rosalind leers up at Mr. Giggles and smiles. You really kept that thing alive, huh? Alive and thriving. He's carrying a witness that you would be interested in hearing from. She stares at me for several seconds and I stare right back, giving nothing away. There's a piece of me that Ros will always be able to read, but thankfully, it's a piece that's not that deep. She pulls an athame out from her dress. Holy shit, her dress has pockets? Just don't be stupid tonight, Jade.
6: Jade Albright, it is better that you should rush upon this blade than enter the
1: circle with fear or rage in your heart. How do you enter? Her addition to the traditional pledge does not escape me. She doesn't trust me not to be stupid. With broken love and broken trust. Jade, come on. Rachel speaks from my left, leaning over one of her sisters to look at me and nag me like the motherly figure she is. Sometimes I think she's worse than Rosalind. I pledge to enter with good tidings and only ripples of anger, for anger is appropriate to your coven tonight. See? She means us harm. Quiet! (sighs) Rosalind methodically raises the athame between us, breaking the circle to allow me in. But not without payment first. She raises her free hand.
6: I must insist.
1: Why would you recommend the good lieutenant to employ me if you still don't trust me? Because it would be good for you. And I would be a foolish high priestess to ask anything
6: less for you to enter our circle. And I must insist your pet
1: stay out, though your witness may enter. Fair. I put my hand in hers. She presses the tip of the athame into my index finger until she draws blood. Making sure a good smear of crimson rests on the blade, she pulls away. She raises the athame and finishes breaking the circle enough to let me in. Mr. Giggles? Mr. Giggles? <laughs> Giggles tosses Stephen into the circle like he's a ragdoll. The coven gasps and grimaces, as if none of them had dirtied their hands with a real craftwork before. The man dusts himself off and stands.
0: Where am I? Why am I here?
1: That's enough hiding. Come out and let's get this over with. Stephen winces and cries out in pain. The sound of cracking bones and cartilage rings out into the night as the demon, once more, takes over my customer. Once settled back in control, he smiles around at the coven.
3: My my. Look what we have here.
6: You let a demon into our circle? How could you do this? You've endangered us all! Destroy it! Destroy it now!
1: Three witches moved to do as someone shouted. A billow of smoke and a flash of light crossed the circle and attacked the demon. I raised my hand and redirected, pulling it toward myself and swallowing it down. Stifling a cough into just clearing my throat, I stepped forward. The smoked witch turns out to be Margot, though I don't recognize the other elemental witch. You do realize that attacking a guest is grounds for dismissal at the very least. What gives you the gall to speak to us like your sister when you bring evil to our door? If you're so weak that one demon can take you down, then you don't deserve to stand in the circle. Quiet. Jade's right. So thank the goddess I don't
6: dismiss the three of you right now. The only thing saving your asses is that I want the whole coven here for this. This witness is needed because we have been betrayed by our own
1: sisters. I scan the crowd of shadowy faces to see a flinch, a blink, something that may give away the murderers. Several remain hooded so I can't make out who everyone is, though some of them looked familiar. <sighs> I unlock my first layer of magic, getting a better sense of the energy in the circle. Half are worried and half are shielding so hard I can't tell. If there are that many murderers, Rosin is less like than I thought. As bossy as she's been, it kinda makes sense though.
6: We are listening,
1: Jade. I step to the center of the circle in front of the fire beside Stephen. Play nice or be eaten.
3: I know the drill.
1: I turn circles as I talk, making sure I come into eye contact with each Coven member as I do. If I'm lucky, the murderer's gaze will betray them. Yes, this man is possessed by a demon. I could have exorcised and destroyed the demon, but he begged to be spared and struck a bargain instead. The ritualistic murders happening in Fort Smith are being done to summon him, to give the summoners his power. These summoners are in your presence tonight. I have brought him here to identify them. The fire crackles as I speak. All of the sisters look equally distraught by this information. If I was the murderers, I'd be scared shitless right now, too. The govern is well within the bounds to banish and turn the betrayers into the authorities, or to seek swift justice by the hand of the High Priestess in the name of their goddess. I keep my guard up, waiting for one of them to run. They have no idea what waits for them if they break the circle and dart into the woods. Give us the name and our bargain will be complete.
3: Let me out of this circle first.
1: You know that's not happening.
3: Why should I give a name freely in a circle I cannot escape without help?
1: So help me, Pest. I will eat you where you stand. And if you somehow try to flee, Mr. Giggles will have you instead.
3: These witches will try to destroy me anyway.
1: Oh, calm down. They'll only exercise you if they can even do that. Now show us before I change my mind and break the bargain before you uphold your end. He looks at me, and slowly lifts both hands until he stretches out like Jesus on a cross. What the hell are you doing?
3: Grandstanding. What's it look like?
1: How does this help identify the murderers?
3: Oh, just give it a minute, and keep an eye out. They'll reveal themselves.
1: His power thrums through the air, thick and powdery to the point I cough on it. Roslyn clears her throat, also sensing it, but the other witches just get twitchy. As I turn to scan the circle, though, I notice two of them are not twitchy at all. Two of them are still as statues, and it's none other than Margot and Alexis. They're strong, I'll give them that, but too strong for their own good. Whatever he's doing to them, they're trying to hide it, not react. Their blank faces single them out. Margot? Sweat glistens on Margot's cheek as she collapses to her knee in a bow.
7: Yes, High Priestess?
1: Roslyn's demeanor changes as she closes the distance between her and Margot. She lifts the suffering witch's chin.
6: I've known ever since we visited Jade's bookstore. Did you know that?
1: Margot says nothing, but she begins to shake ever so slightly from the tension of keeping it in. Please, Roz, make him stop. Stop what? What are you feeling? But it's Alexis that finally gives in. Hyperventilating, she falls to her knees and tears her robe off. Beneath it, all she has on is a white tank top and flowing skirt. But even in the firelight, we can see the raw, red, open blisters forming on her arms. She screams. Margo joins her. But Roslyn does nothing to stop their suffering. I thought she might plead with me or the demon, but she doesn't. Maybe Rosalind grew a backbone while I was away. Being high priestess may suit her after all. These two
6: sisters have broken trust and faith by going against our path to worship Hecate.
5: We have done what the Crone wishes. We have followed the darker path to embrace who we truly are.
6: We accept our flaws, our selfishness, our struggles, not give in to them. We accept all that we are to be the best of ourselves. The truth of yourselves is evident now, killing in the name of power, poisoning our collective magic. We stand for virtue, honor, and integrity. It is through our charity and devotion that she deems us worthy to work with. God, it's no wonder we haven't felt her blessing in months.
1: Your guidance is half-pledged. Your indecision and inaction to address our concerns led us to this path. It was our choice to walk it, but you showed it to us. Rosin says nothing to that. I'm not sure if she's done listening to their whining or if she believes they're right and truly has no response. She turns her back on them and addresses the rest of the coven. To banish these betrayers, I must
6: have your voice, sisters. Do we merely turn them into the cops, or do we use the authority granted to us by the mother to cut ties? I am not going to
1: prison! Margot makes a break for it. I'm not close enough to stop her, and I didn't think Roslyn was stupid enough to turn her back to her and give Margot the chance. But just as Margot broke the barrier, she falls backwards and is dragged away into the darkness, screaming as if attacked. Mr. Giggle stands where I left him. Who, or what, just dragged her into the woods? Margot continues to scream a few seconds longer and then stops, but her breath is heavy as she cries. Someone help me! No one moves as so she continues to wail well for help. They probably think it's a trick that whatever is out there is mimicking Margo. I know better, but I keep the knowledge to myself. I kneel in front of Alexis, who has quieted her screams to grunts of pain, but I speak loud enough for the whole cover to hear. You know the horribly wonderful thing about the Ozark Howlers? They understand revenge and torture. A Howler can tear you limb from limb in seconds, but on the brink of death, they will stop and lick your wounds to help you heal, to keep you alive, just so they can tear you apart over and over. Howlers are wonderfully patient and even more loyal. I'm assuming the one you ensnared with your smoke magic, you know, the one I freed, made it back to his pack and made a point to find you. So the only way you're making it out of these woods alive and in one piece is to come quietly. (sighs) What about Margot? The cops only need one perpetrator. That can be you or her. Rosalind! The howlers start on Margot again. Her screams even more pitiful now that she's realizing her fate. I stare into Alexis's eyes, letting my answer sink in with her screams.
7: You're going to let those
6: beasts kill Margot? What will the mother think? Our divine mother has seen fit to bless us with her hounds and strike justice on her own. Wouldn't you say
1: sisters? Two coven members step forth and remove their hoods. One of them is Marine. Rosin's mother. Cut the cord, break the bond. Cut the cord. Break the bond. The, the break in the break circle the from Margot fleeing grows wider. The firelight catches the pupils of the howlers that have turned their attention to Alexis. Several pairs of orange glowing eyes peering at us from the darkness. The, bond. the Coven collectively gasps at the sight. Their fear drifts through the air, and I can't help but to breathe it in and bask. Mr. Giggles? Please escort Alexis here to the cops. If she tries to escape, kill her. And Alexis, please, I beg you. Try to
6: escape. Carly, Alyssa, go with them and confirm Alexis makes it to the authorities.
1: I identify Carly and Alyssa from the sheer panic on their faces. Jeez, you show up with two different types of cryptids and no one feels safe. Mr. Giggles, these two young ladies will help you. Do not harm them. <laughs> Mr. Giggle gives me his grunt of compliance. I feed him some of that fearful energy as a treat. I give you my word. Mr. Giggles is focused on keeping his prey in his hands. He will not harm you, and, as long as you trust that, he will ignore your fear. Alyssa nods, but Carly is still uncertain. Both witches still do as told. Good to know they are not of the faction against Roz. Now to figure out how many are. Rosalind grabs Alexis and hauls her up. As soon as Rosalind shoves her out of the circle, Mr. Giggles heaves her up into his arms. Carly and Alyssa follow behind. Mr. Giggles leaving without me was not the plan, but I think I can still do this without him. I did not realize how divided this coven was and how much it crippled them. A scurrying in the trees alerts me to some of the howlers breaking off from torturing Margot to growl and nip at Alexis dangling from Mr. Giggles' arms. She cries out and wriggles in his grip, but Mr. Giggles holds her tightly. I didn't expressly forbid giggles from letting the howlers hurt her on the way, so I wondered how much he'll allow. it. Please!
3: Rosalind! Don't leave me to these feet!
1: I turn to look at Rosalind. Her face is blank in the firelight as Margot calls to her. It breaks something in Rosalind to leave Margot to her fate, and for a moment I think her resolve will shatter, but she shakes it off.
6: Our circle has been tainted with the bloodstains on our hands. We must do what we can to help atone for our egregious oversight.
1: Before any of that, I believe you owe me something. Roslyn smooths her skirt and then clasps her hands in front of her. I invited you here tonight, but I owe you nothing. Not you. At least not only you. You who were there that night owe me an explanation. Goddess bless, Jade. When will you stop this? When I have the answer or when your whole coven is wiped off the face of the fucking earth. That got everyone's attention. I feel it, the rage that's been boiling beneath the surface of my focus all night. I've done what I needed to ensure that the cops don't continue to sniff around my shop, but I have not done what I have longed to do to this coven for over a decade. I finally have my chance. I lift my hand in the direction of the pack and open myself to Domino, the howler I saved. By blood, I call to thee. Through the wailing in the darkness, a set of glowing eyes turns to me, and then another, and another. Bless my mother for raising me around howlers. Three of them bound through the break in the circle before anyone can move. They stalk around me, snarling and growling at the coven members. I'm surprised none have left the circle. But maybe they're all smart enough to know they're no safer outside of it. They're used to being safe once they draw it. I bet most of them have never dealt with a broken circle. Calm, sisters. sisters. She cannot hurt us. Oh, shut up. Where is Sister Marine? A few visibly fight to turn their heads, and some cannot help but to look at the retired high priestess I asked for. She steps out from behind Roslin and lowers her hood. The woman has barely aged a day, just a few small wrinkles and lighter hair than the last time I saw her. Marine is the founder of this coven and was my mother's best friend, until she betrayed her and got her killed. If anyone has the answer I'm looking for, it's her. But how do I get it out of her? Sister Marine, you were witness to my mother's murder, were you not? You will not get a new answer out of me, Jade. The only answer you need is that your mother lived and died a heroine. 16 years you've been feeding me that line. Either that ends tonight, or your coven does. You're such a fool, child, blinded by your selfishness. Coming here and throwing a temper tantrum? For what? Do not patronize me, old lady. You have lied to me long enough. Anyone else here happen to know what happened that night? If you come forward, I won't kill you. No one moves, but my rage rises to a new level. I release the hate I have for the people surrounding me into the air. It mixes with their fear, dark and spiced like an aged rum. I know half, if not most, of these coven members were not there that night. But it makes no difference. This coven says it stands for virtue and honor, and it has neither. I've let it exist for too long. It was my mother's circle, but now I will make it a graveyard. I turn and face Rosalind and her mother, and the Hallers do the same. Your coven is but a shadow of what it was when my mother was High Priestess. Your sordid leadership has split the coven into factions. One faction so unhappy that they were willing to kill for power to usurp you. I know that hasn't escaped your thoughts, why they did all this. Why they would need that much power when they knew trying to share it with the coven would mean exile. You knew they were going to stage a coup, and you knew they would win if you didn't have more help. You let me do your dirty work for you. Even in the dim firelight against the oppressive darkness, I see Rosin's face twitch. Did she really think I wouldn't put two and two together? Rage dances in my heart, revenge on my fingertips. I just have to give the signal to the howlers and they will pounce and relish with me in their blood and fear. But another witch steps forth and removes her hood. It's Sam. There's another option we have here. My rage dampens slightly as I stare at her. My anger at her hiding her identity is nothing compared to this rage I've held onto since my mother died. But somehow seeing her makes me hesitate. She stands between me and her aunt and grandmother. In this moment, I don't see a lost teenager. I see a strong young woman. I see me. First, call off the attack on Margot. And why would I do that? She enslaved one of them and treated him horribly. They deserve their revenge. But not my aunt's. She's
7: acting like a woman's scorn. If there's one thing I've learned from this coven, it's to stand on the side of virtue.
1: Margot deserves justice, not torture. Her mention of the coven's virtue makes me want to vomit. Then you haven't been paying attention to your own coven. All I've
7: had a chance to do is watch and learn. I haven't had much of a chance to practice their ways yet other than the worship of Hecate. Everything you said is right. We are divided. I think we were divided before my aunt ever became High Priestess. I can't say anything before that, but I can say I know the answer to your question.
1: Stop them from killing Margot, and we can arrange a deal. She could be shielding hard enough to keep me from knowing, but I sense no fear from her and I believe it. Her resolve sits clear on her face. I turn my head to the direction of Margot's wailing and push my intent into the rest of the howlers. They comply and stop attacking. Margot's painful cries dampen to a moan of relief. They will not harm those who step out of the circle, but I suggest you only send two after Margot. Michelle, Nevaeh. Two hooded witches don't hesitate to fetch their sister. I wonder if that's from devotion to Roslyn or devotion to Margot, but I shake the thought away. I want to know what Sam has to say. Did Roslyn or your granny actually tell you what happened that night, or are you bluffing to save your sisters? Do you want to take that chance? Fine. I'll play your game. What do you want in return? I'm sure something else other than Margot is at play. Sam begins to pace around the campfire, just like I did.
7: According to the bylaws of the Sisters of a removal of High Priestess may be brought to the coven as long as the members are present and there is dire need for removal... I'd say having to banish sisters for such horrible misdoings that was directly tied to the High Priestess ignoring their concerns deems such a removal.
1: Samantha, what are you doing? I'm surprised this question comes from Maureen instead of Roslyn. Roslyn just stares daggers at Sam. I push my intent into the three howlers around me to relax, and all three lay down. I step past Domino and closer to Sam. Does she really think a change in leadership is what I want? What? for her grandmother to take the title back or herself. She stops and turns to me. The glimmer in her eye catches the firelight and tells me she's about to fuck with me. She smiles. And she does it too. I hereby call for a removal of
7: the High Priestess Rosalind and nominate Jade Albright to be our next High Priestess.
5: Hi listeners. Wow, what an episode. Has this been Sam's plan all along? And how long has she known all of this? Plus, Jade as the High Priestess? That's everything she doesn't want, but what other choice does she have after everything? I don't know what Jade's next move is, but I am very excited to see what the next season holds for us listeners. This episode of It's All in the Cards podcast was written by Ashley McAnally. The music for this episode was composed by The Arsonist and produced by Scott Thomas. Featuring the voice talents of Ashley McAnally, Scott Thomas, Jessica McAvoy, Nate Dufort, Kiana Harris, Nicole Aronis, Davis Walden, Nicole Goodnight, Aaron Lillis, Fern May, CJ Listro, Braden Wilson, and Morgan Wilson. We would like to give a shout-out to our newest Patreon subscribers, Jamie Love, Edwin D., Casey Tack, Judson Terry, Chelsea Carroll, Greg W., and Ursula Person. If you, too, would like to support the show, you can join our Patreon and get ad-free episodes, early access, and exclusive bonus content, including our spin-off series, The Deck of the Eternals, a Patreon-exclusive to our Celtic Cross-Spread subscribers, premiering in April. To find out more about our podcast, please visit us at www.itsallinthecardspodcast.com and be sure to check us out on Facebook at It's All In The Cards Podcast and Twitter at It's All In The Card. Links in the show notes. It's All In The Cards Podcast may not be suitable for all listeners. Discretion is advised.